I think one of the many gifts that I took away that was a, a life changer for me with Brooks was the level of, of presentation and professionalism that was required. It was um, easy to get into Brooks Institute of Photography. It was incredibly hard to graduate. There were 58 students in my class that 12 graduated. Oh, wow. If you got a C, you failed. You had to retake the class. The second C, you were expelled. So they were really about making exceptional artists and not about um, just making money, which I really appreciate. And, and being somebody that's owned an agency for 25 years and seeing what a lot of the, the schools churn out now that are based on profit versus not really instilling what the students need to have a successful career as a creative. Um, that was enormous for me. The, the other thing that I took away from that was uh, you know, a very special relationship with the, the founder of the school, Ernest Brooks. Um, I minored in undersea photography and, and I got to spend several months living on a boat, diving every day with a gentleman who has you know, an exhibit in the Smithsonian Institute for his underwater uh, photography. We had Jean-Michel Cousteau, Jacques Cousteau's son, dove with us for several expeditions. So the uh, taste for once in a lifetime experiences, I got at a very early age. Welcome to the Artism Podcast, where we explore creativity, inspiration, and the determination it takes to be an artisan. This podcast is for artisans, by artisans. I'm your host, Kathy Duraghi, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to our next guest. I'm so excited to uh, interview a good friend, Keith Roberts, an incredible creative and the creator of the Oak Journal to this session of the Artisan Podcast. Hello, Keith. Welcome. Hi, Katty. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. I'd love to start the conversation, Keith, uh, about you as a creative, how you got your start and then we'll kind of make that move into where you are today with the Oak Journal. Uh, great. Um, so my start, I actually went to Brooks Institute of Photography in Santa Barbara, California, uh, where I got a degree in industrial scientific photography with a minor in undersea photography. So really applicable to the real world. Uh, sarcasm <laughs> there. Um, <laughs> but... I think one of the many gifts that I took away that was a, a life changer for me with Brooks was the level of, of presentation and professionalism that was required. It was um, easy to get into Brooks Institute of Photography. It was incredibly hard to graduate. There were 58 students in my class that 12 graduated. Oh, wow. If you got a C, you failed. You had to retake the class. The second C, you were expelled. So they were really about making exceptional artists and not about um, just making money, which I really appreciate. And, and being somebody that's owned an agency for 25 years and seeing what a lot of the, the schools churn out now that are based on profit versus not really instilling what the students need to have a successful career as a creative. Um, that was enormous for me. The, the other thing that I took away from that was uh, you know, a very special relationship with the, the founder of the school, Ernest Brooks. Um, I minored in undersea photography and, and I got to spend several months living on a boat, diving every day 
with a gentleman who has you know an exhibit in the Smithsonian Institute for his underwater uh, photography. We had Jean-Michel Cousteau, Jacques Cousteau's son, dove with us for several expeditions. So the uh, taste for once in a lifetime experiences, I got at a very early age. Oh my gosh, I got goosebumps. That that's incredible to have that opportunity at such a young age. So that just opened up the whole world for you to be able to look at everything through their eyes too. Yeah. And I would say it also set an expectation that I, I did not want to have an ordinary life. Um, there, there was a, I remember it to this day in my grandmother's trailer in rural Indiana, she had a poster of the poem, the road less traveled. And I always remember that last verse, you know, two roads diverged in a road and I, I took the road less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And that was an early opportunity to see, you know, when everybody else is sitting in a classroom or working on being an engineer, which was the, the safe job in the nineties, you know, that my dad was an engineer and that was the, the safe route to go. What was possible if you really followed your passion? Beautiful, beautiful. And I know that uh, unfortunately Ernest Brooks passed away recently and you wrote a beautiful tribute about him. Can you talk a little bit about mentorship and just kind of what that meant for you to be under the tutelage of this, this incredible person? Absolutely. And, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to continue to honor Ernie. Um, and he was one of, of, of many mentors that I've continued to work with. Um, it was a gift. And I think realizing as a, as a Buddhist, I believe that there is no such thing as a coincidence. But when the teacher, when the student is ready, the teacher presents itself. And I think there's so many lost opportunities when people don't realize that there's this synchronicity happening all around them. Um, and so, you know, with, with Ernie Brooks, I remember something specifically he said that the, the boat we lived on was just love. And he said, the time we spend upon just love is not deducted from our lives. And it still chokes me up to this day. And I think that's why he lived to be as long as he did is because he spent so much time on that, that gorgeous boat. Um, but mentorship is, is essential and it's not something that ends with the first Ernie set me on a path, but at Brooks, I met Lapsan, who was, uh, somebody that worked with the Dalai Lama. And he put me on the path from being a devout, devout atheist to finding Buddhism and changing the entire path of my life, even though Lapsan was very briefly in my life. And then there was a gentleman, Dave Larson, when I worked at, uh, you know, I, I, assisted a couple of photographers, Vic Huber and Bob Carey. Those were also mentors that helped me continue to push what I wanted to be as a professional. But when I broke out and started working as a photographer, stock photography was really decimating the market. And a lot of established photographers were closing. And so I spent a year as a starving artist and then had to get a real job. <laughs> and that's how I got into doing design, um, where I met my next mentor, a gentleman named Dave Larson. Uh, he saw me as a, a designer that, you know, head down when things weren't going to get accomplished by my peers, I would jump in and, and make sure that we hit our deadlines. And he was the one that actually gave me the, uh, the opportunity to move to Denver. He promoted me within that, that organization that was acquired by Equifax. And, and then the next step was, was EO and the mentors like, you know, Warren Rustand and having those people that continue to inspire you to tears. Mm -hmm. Well said. EO for the audience is the Entrepreneurs Organization, a network of about 16,000 members, entrepreneurs across the globe. And that's how Keith and I know each other. We're both members of 
EO and um, have a lot of people, a lot of mentors in common, Warren Rustin being the gentleman that he, uh, Keith just talked about. Uh, so can you, uh, so obviously the influence of all of these incredible people have created an indelible impact on you, one that you carry with you still today. When and who can put that spark of entrepreneurship, um, lit that spark of entrepreneurship for you? Wow, that's a really good question. You know, I don't know. Actually, I do. I remember in seventh grade, and it wasn't the the funny thing. It was it wasn't really inspirational. It was my um, uh, accounting teacher, or what? It was it was somebody, some class that I had, and I remember he explained the definition of an entrepreneur, and it was horrible. It was somebody that was going to have many failures before they have a success. Probably have you know one or multiple bankruptcies. I mean, he really described an entrepreneur as an atrocious choice to make in your life. And I remember sitting in that class and being like, huh, I think that's me. Like going against the grain, not following the rules and facing unsurmountable odds with optimism. So it it was, (laughs) it was sort of an adverse inspiration. Yeah. I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah, I, I don't think you can see this on my wall. It says dwell in possibilities. It's my absolute yeah. favorite quote. And that's what entrepreneurship is all about. It's like there's a possibility out there. So let, let's go and do it. Yes, absolutely. I love that. At what point <laughs> in your career after you were working, you know, obviously studying photography, making the move to design and working for Dave Larson, at what point did you say, okay, now I'm ready to start my own agency? Um, it was actually serendipity. So I had been doing some stuff as, as Zen man, as a freelancer while I was working at Equifax, which is where Dave, I work, work for Dave Larson. Um, and then they had moved me from California to Denver when the merger happened, like with most acquisitions, they, within six months, realized the redundancies that they'd acquired and they'd also moved us out here. So I'd always had the goal that before I was 30, I wanted to be my own boss, to have my own business, to be an entrepreneur. And I actually was given a free roll. I had a six month runway. It was pre September 11th. The economy was great based on my, my management level. I had a half year runway. So I had, uh, I looked at that opportunity, like once in a lifetime, I'm never going to be given this gift again. I took my, my, uh, my severance package. I tore up my resume never to be editor used again and, uh, formed Zen man as official business. Beautiful. It's one thing though, to go from being a solopreneur and to creating (laughs) one, having employees, having that responsibility for other people beyond just yourself. When did you make that transition? That was a couple of years later. So uh, for the first three years, it was just me. It was called Zen Man because I was the Buddhist creative guy. I was the Zen Man. But then as we started adding employees and scaling, um, you're absolutely right. Two things happened. My stress level increased exponentially and yep. my personal increase and my personal income decreased catastrophically. Mm-hmm. And it probably took five years to get back to where I was after adding that overhead. And that did not alleviate the peaks and valleys that that came with a service-based industry. We weren't doing a lot of recurring revenue at the time. So each month it was eat what you kill. Mm. And it was feature famine many times. 
Um, and I would even say past that. So that was eight years into the business. It was another five years before I joined EO that I really learned how to be an entrepreneur. Those first, the first decade was, um, stubbornness, willingness to work a hundred plus hours a week, uh, which led to, you know, illness and all sorts of, of issues, but it was actually learning how to run a business, learning how to be a leader, even learning what EBITDA meant, uh, which I didn't know the first 10 year, you know, these things are essential, but we don't know them all right out of the bat. We weren't taught those in, you know, in photography school or, you know, wherever we go. Which I think you bring up a really good point in terms of kind of what, what is being taught currently in art schools and just artists and creatives as a whole, really putting their practice and their expertise in the various programs that they use, you know, whether it be Adobe Creator Cloud or Figma or whatever it may be, but not to forget the business side of them because so many of them are solopreneurs and are running their own freelance business to really have a good understanding of what the accounting side of it needs to be, either out to outsource it to an accountant and or do it themselves, whichever they want, but to really look at that business as a business. Um, yes. I think that's really important to be able to have that full-scale picture of it. You know, it, it's a really good point, Caddy, because I learned the presentation skills. That's one of the things I learned at Brooks was a well-put-together portfolio that's perfectly mounted and everything is, is top notch is going to get more jobs than a better photography with a sloppy presentation. Mm. The one thing we didn't learn was the business part of running a studio photography business, freelance business. So for the first, oh man, 15 years of my company or longer, I saw the businesses checking account like monopoly money. It wasn't real money to me until it came to me. And I mean, millions of dollars were, were wasted by not having that clarity and understanding and business, uh, education, which is essential. And I think, uh, you know, the tables have turned and now the most secure opportunity is to be your own boss, to be an entrepreneur versus trusting your career into, you know, some other company hitching your wagon to that star and hoping that they not only are successful, but that they continue to value your contribution and reciprocate that with job security. Yeah, very, very true. Oh, very well said. Thank you for that. Now you've recently transitioned um, out of your business. Uh, is that, is that correct? Am I saying that correctly? No, that's correct. Yep. Yes, I, I sold Zenman to uh, a, a SaaS company called Mblue in Latin America. Um, it has been a, an amazing transition. I was really nervous. I know so many people sell their business and they lose their identity. They make a bunch of money and then they become miserable. Uh, I feel very, very fortunate that it's been a, um, a serendipitous partnership. They've maintained the legacy of the business and I'm helping them grow and accomplish their goals. Um, I think the, the mindset of win-win, you know, it wasn't, I'm tapping out the last day. It's that I'm committed to it and that the people on the other side have the, uh, trust and respect to let us continue to run our, our practice as we do. Yeah. Fantastic. And obviously I know this from having known you past few years, you've embarked on this passion that is now your sole focus in your, in your business, uh, which is incredibly beautiful journal that you've you've created for others to use and i can see that 
experience for having put a great presentation together that you learned so many years ago really manifests itself in in the Oak Journal. It's absolutely beautiful. Can you talk about what that spark was and why did you decide to go into this, this business? Yes, um, it is a combination of two things. It is my ikigai, but I didn't know it when I started down that journal. Ikigai is a Japanese term that means life's purpose. Um, but one of the things that I really wanted to do was stop trading my time for money. I realized when I had kids that time was the one finite resource we had as you know, an agency owner and a top paid creative. I, I make a lot of money per hour and it's still not a good exchange. So my goal was to come up with a product-based business that would fulfill my needs of uh, financial independence without trading my time for money. And in finding the right product, um, that's how I came up with the Oak Journal. I wanted something that I could use my knowledge to create and do a better job than anybody that was currently doing this with the skills I'd built over the two decades of running Zen man. So being able to design something, you know, I've designed many, many books over the years, but being able to take the life experience skills, you know, even you know, Warren Rustan's 10, 10, 10, and weave that into a, a paint by numbers roadmap that anybody could use to, to live their best life, um, has been transformational. And, uh, it really made me want to with intention, transition out of, you know, the Zen man, which, which was a hundred percent, my identity. It's my nickname. It's what people call me, um, to, you know, helping others and, and being a, a bodhisattva. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Uh, so as a practice, as a mindfulness practice and gratitude practice, is that something that you were doing anyway, before you put the journal together? Yes. Uh, I've been meditating for 20 plus years and about 10 years ago, I started uh, practicing transcendental meditation and okay. it has had as big of an impact on me as the entrepreneurs organization has, yeah. uh, you know, meditation is a superpower. Um, if somebody doesn't think that they have enough time in their day to meditate, uh, you need meditation more than anyone. And you will find if you start a simple practice, it gives you time in the day because you're more productive, you're more clear, you're more creative, you're more focused. Um, I wish people would look as meditation, like a, a free pill that would give them superpowers like that movie, uh, with Bradley Cooper, uh, limitless, you know, it, and it's not quite that, but it, it's, it's pretty amazing how much just having a 10 minute meditation can change your day. I love that. Can you talk about uh, that and creativity and kind of where you see kind of that third line between, between the two, cause you talked about staying, being quiet for a few minutes. That's what we're talking about here. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's a really good question, Caddy. Thanks for asking it. I mean, the most amazing ideas, if you look at, you know, songwriters or inventors, they happen in the shower or while they're driving down the highway. And the reason that is, is they're not thinking about other thoughts. They're not thinking about their problems, their mortgage, their, you know, issues with their partner. They're just washing their hair and at peace with their mind, their mind is itself. And so we're able to come up with those really, really creative ideas. So I, am intentional with creating those moments from meditation and to start my day to even having uh, core hours where I turn off all devices, not just my email, my phone's in airplane mode. There's no, you know, Twitter open. I don't do that ever anyways, but you know, there's all distractions are turned off. So you can focus on writing your book, working on that creative project, 
or whatever it is that needs to be accomplished. You can really get into those, that state of theta brainwaves with intention. Willie Nelson actually does it by just driving his truck. He, he writes his best songs when he's driving down the highway. So once he figured that out, when he wants to be creative, he gets in his truck and he starts driving. Uh, so there's all different ways you can, you get into that, that state. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because creativity doesn't necessarily happen nine to five staring at a screen. It, it happens when you're out in nature. It happens when you're just you, you allow your mind to get creative. So that's to go inward. I think it's just so important to be able to do that. Hundred percent, I agree. I've I've done meditation for years. I I only can do it if it's a guided meditation. I have not, you know gotten to a place where I can do it on my own. But even in the guided practice, I find that so, so impactful and so helpful to be able to do that. Yeah, I agree. We try TM. It's just a mantra. I think that one will, and there's nothing wrong with guided meditations. I still do those as well. And I practice those with my boys. Um, but I've struggled with contemplative meditations that weren't guided until I found TM. Okay. I will look into it. There's actually a couple of other friends who, who've um, embarked upon uh, GM. So you're the third person I'm hearing this from. So I think maybe, ah, maybe there's maybe a reason. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. exactly. Exactly. Um, so you've started your boys on meditation. Yes. No, we make that uh, part of their day. In fact, when they were very, very young, we had them in three different preschools before we found a school called Morningstar that was a yoga and meditation based preschool. So the boys started every day with meditation or with yoga. They did guided meditations. It was a very Eastern, uh, hippie boulder-esque type of, of preschool, but it really resonated with our boys. Now they, um, they don't embrace it with the same joy that I do, but they understand the value of it. Uh, it's almost like a joke in our house that, you know, I'll talk about the benefits of meditation and they'll be like, I know dad, you get, you talk about this dad. I know dad, you wrote an article about this dad. Uh, so I'm hoping one day they'll listen with the same attentiveness that somebody at a keynote does. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, I know that the Oak Journal, you just came out with a new version of it. Can you talk a little bit about the differences between this and what you were doing? Um, in addition to that, I know it's a different size, um, but kind of yep. what's that creative process for you? Because clearly you're still a very creative person and you just channel that creativity into this. Yeah, I, I love making things. So the, the main changes that we made, the biggest one is we moved production to the U.S. and now it is being produced with environmentally friendly materials. The factory that we're using in China didn't have the same standards. And so that was the biggest one to us to have something that was made with our um, core value of environmentally friendly in alignment. <clears throat> and also it helped with just uh, production delays and shipping and everything we're dealing with right now around the world. The other pieces, we had a lot of people each week has a positive psychology exercise and we had people that have been doing it for over a year. And so they were repeating the same, you know, let's create our bucket list every nine, uh, you know, nine weeks. And so that's not getting that they were getting diminishing returns. So the next version is 2.0. We're going to make four versions total so that you can have uh, 48 different positive psychology exercises. I'm sorry, 48, uh, 54 different exercises that you would do in a year and two weeks. 
uh, and then you could repeat it. And we're also working on two other products. One is called the Sequoia. So that's your 10 year journal. You set your, your BHAG, your moonshot, and then you're incrementally working towards that, um, with the series of 120 Oak journals. And then our passion project right now is the acorn. So this is for children. And this is actually something that we're uh, intending just to give away. We'll definitely print it and have them for sale, but anybody that wants an acorn journal anywhere on the planet will have it for free. Oh, how beautiful. And I love all the tree references, all the nature references. Thank you. Going back to our roots there. Beautiful. Exactly. Yeah, beautiful. And thank you for connecting me to your resources for for my journal too. You've, you've, <laughs> been, you've been so gracious. I have to say that, Keith, you know, talking about mentorship uh, early on, but you've just been so gracious with sharing your knowledge and your all the trials and tribulations of bringing this, this journal to market and sharing that with me and with others who are interested in, in that. So definitely a mentor. So thank you for that. Thank you very much, Kat. I appreciate it. I, I truly believe all ships rise with the tide and you know, the more we can help each other just benefits everyone. And I know more people having your book and your journal is going to help them. Um, I think one of the things I'm blessed with here in Colorado is the creative community was very symbiotic. Um, you know, we, we do compete with people, but at the same time, um, there's my competitors that would reach out to me and say, Hey, this job's out of our league. You know, would you, this is more in, in your wheelhouse. Could you take it? So mm-hmm. I think when you have that mindset of collaboration, then it's reciprocated. Yeah. And then it's beautifully said because so many freelancers are so siloed and the importance of community can't be uh, overemphasized to, to be part of that community, whether it's, you know, creative mornings or AIGA or whatever it may be, but to find a community of other creatives to be able to collaborate with is so critical. Yeah. You said it perfectly, not being on that Island, not being in a silo, you know, just leaning on somebody. I mean, EO was great during COVID and, and I don't know how many people in our chapter wouldn't have gotten their uh, PPP if it hadn't been other members that say, Hey, I have this connection at a community branch. We can help you. You know, don't worry about going through your big bank you've had for 20 years. You need to call Mary at InBank and she'll submit your proposal at three in the morning to get you taken care of. So that the, the mentorship and also the peers that you just have in a, um, in a connected, trusting and vulnerable way, when people don't have their guards up, when they're honest with what's going on, it's amazing how we come to each other's aid uh, when we just raise our hand and say, Hey, I need help. Yeah. Very, very true. Very true. Yeah. It's been an interesting year for sure. Uh, and uh, we're, we're still in it, but you know, by all means, it's not a, it's, a, it's not a done deal. What would you say is a, one of your biggest lessons that you've learned for yourself that during this pandemic year, year and a half? Um, the importance of, of community and connection. Um, you know, I, I've seen other people that don't have the, the network that really struggled that sort of went, went inside and dealt with everything personally versus just like we mentioned, you know, having that community that you can reach out to. Um, I mean, one of the, the blessings of EO is that it's a global community. So I took it as an opportunity because I couldn't 
go have a coffee with a friend in Denver every day to have a zoom call with a friend in Melbourne or zoom, you know, just other ways to connect with people around the planet. I actually feel like for me, it broadened my global connections, even though I wasn't able to travel and I am chomping at the bit to go travel to meet these friends. You know, I agree hundred percent. We did that on the family side. Uh, and I don't know if I told you this one, when we saw each other last week, mm-hmm. but since I think March 20th, uh, we started a family zoom and we've had one every single Sunday since then. So March 20th of 2020 and my family is all over the world. Uh, nobody lives here in Los Angeles. So to be able to have this very intentional, focused one hour Zoom call with one another. This is with grandparents and the grandkids and the aunts and the uncles and the brothers and the sisters. At, at that, I think the max point, we had 18 people on our Zoom. And it wow. still happens to today, every Sunday, 10 a.m., you know, it's the Fergie family Zoom call. And it's we do it as, as if it's a forum exercise. So everything starts with an icebreaker. Everybody talks about a win. Everybody does a one-word open. And it's been transformational because we're actually learning things about each other that we wouldn't otherwise because we're not asking these very intentional questions of each other when we're physically together. So it's been phenomenal in terms of how close we've become as a family when you right that is really cool that's such a cool gift and i think it's also perspective right i mean you could look at it that hey i haven't been able to be in the same room with these people but the flip side of that coin is you just created a tradition that hopefully will go on for generations and we were blessed to have the technology to be able to do that i mean even 10 years ago it would have been a different world we were in and i think so much more challenging to to face this this isolation Oh, I agree. 100%. I 100% agree. And I'm just, look, the future of work has changed. And without the technology yeah. that we have today, it wouldn't have been possible to continue. Absolutely. Yeah. What is getting you excited and inspired these days? You know, what gets me excited is actually, I think, something that's really messed up right now. And that's the changes that I think are inevitable with social media. You know, what's coming out about algorithms intentionally presenting inflammatory content. I'm actually excited that there'll be action taken to hold these people accountable. It's going to turn the world on its head as far as advertising e-commerce, but it's already happening with with iOS changes and, and privacy, which is not a bad thing. Personally, I, I'm quite happy having the exact product that I want presented to me uh, in a way that makes it easy to purchase it. But we, I am excited about the change that's going to help remove the wedge that's dividing this country apart. Because the truth of the matter is, on 95% of the issues, we're exactly the same. And I think there are some toxic influences that are exasperating our... Uh, divide. And I I am for the first time in years, optimistic that we're going to start taking that wedge out and coming back together. Beautiful. Here's to that. Stop feeding the, whatever we can do to make that happen. Yeah. 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 And one final question for you, something to leave behind for our audience, especially those who are embarking on their creative career and or because of COVID have had to pivot their freelance business or they've lost their jobs. 
What are some lessons learned that you want to leave them with in terms of um, determination to just continue continue the task? Mm-hmm. Um, two, two tools that I will leave. One, uh, I'm a big fan of Dr. Joe Dispenza, and he has a tool on manifesting what you want. So if you're struggling right now, maybe you lost your job during COVID or your business failed or something, set your intentions with a tool he created where you uh, take a piece of paper out, you write emotions on one side, intentions on the other. So if your goal is a new job, what is the intention? Am I, I get to travel three months out of the year and see the world. I'm making enough money that I'm financially independent. What are all the intentions that you have? And then on the other side, under the emotions, what are the feelings that you have? And actually try to feel those emotions so you can manifest it. And that is a great tool. I love that tool, but it is the first step. The second step is doing the work. The thing that I hate about the book, The Secret, is it's all about having the right mindset and everything's just going to appear in your life. The mindset is critical. It's essential, but it's the first step. You've got to make continuous daily progress. You can't just wish upon a star that you're going to have your dream job. What did you do today to actually accomplish that goal? What incremental progress, even if it was just five new connections on LinkedIn that you sent out, what was the incremental progress you made today towards living your best life? So, you know, wishing is, is a nice mindset, but you've got to put your hands to work. Beautiful. Thank you, Keith. Thank you for joining us here. Where can people find you and when, where can they find your beautiful journal? Uh, Oakjournal.com. You can uh, connect with me on social uh, Zen man. If you Zen, look for Zen man, you will find me or anything Oak journal related. Uh, you will definitely find me and you can direct message me. You can even email me at Keith at Oakjournal.com. If you have any questions. And Keith, before I let you go, um, I forgot to ask this. You also do a lot of sessions where you teach people how to journal and meditate and so forth, correct? Absolutely. Yep. I do it. Uh, I literally just got off one right before we started. I was doing one in uh, Cape Town for EO Cape Town, but I also do them for individual forums, for companies. Um, and I have a, a master class. That's a six-week class people can do. It's the Oak Master Class. Oh, fantastic. And they can find that on masterclass or on Oak, oakmasterclass.com or Oak journal. They all, I'm pretty good at the whole SEO interlinking web thing, having owned an agency. So if you get to one of my, uh, properties, you, you can find everything that you need and we'll guide you through that journey. The masterclass is a uh, six week intensive that we work on, uh, in small groups and then individually. Um, and it's a requirement. I do a little bit of coaching, but I'm really, really particular with working with people that have the, the growth mindset that, you know, I are going to be good fit. So everybody has to do the, the masterclass first to make sure we're both on the same path. Got it. Got it. Beautiful. And I'll put all the links in the show notes so that everybody knows how to find you and where to find you. Thanks, Kathy. Thank I appreciate you. it. It was Thank an honor. You. To you today. Thanks for being here. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Artisan Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Artisan Creative, a staffing and recruitment firm specializing in creative, marketing, and digital talent. You can find us online at artisancreative.com or via social channels at Artisan Creative. We look forward to connecting. Mm-hmm.